Happy New Year. I love this season right after Christmas, the the newness, the fresh start, right off the heels of the gift-giving season. And I was reflecting on some of the gifts that I had received over the years, whether that was for my birthday or for Christmas. And I remember this one gift like it was yesterday. My birthday falls in the middle of February. And so for the preceding two weeks beforehand, my family was dropping hints as to the gift that I was going to receive. They would give me clues as to what the gift was. And they'd say things like, we picked it just for you. Don't fret. We're not stringing you along. It sounds amazing. Real subtle. And based upon the information that I was receiving, it was very clear to me what I was getting. A new guitar. And I couldn't wait to hold it. I couldn't wait to play it, to write songs on it. And so I built up the excitement. I built up the joy. And I was counting down the days until I would be able to hold it, to to plug it in and make it sing. Finally, my birthday arrives. I wake up and I'm looking all around the house for a guitar or at least a guitar-shaped wrapped present. And what I found was a card. And the card said, happy birthday, you're getting guitar lessons. Now, guitar lessons are the clothes of music gifts. You get why you're getting them, but it's not fun to open. And it's basically paying for homework. And I can say now that there is no way that I appreciated that present because it didn't match my expectation. Sure, I learned how to play 12-bar blues, but what I thought was going to happen didn't happen. And so my outlook and my appreciation changed. And I still remember it vividly, and it was over 20 years ago. Because attached to the memory is expectation, and disappointment. And all of us experience expectation and disappointment in our lives. It's it's why New Year's resolutions don't really work out because there's this expectation of what's going to happen. I'm going to go on the diet. I'm going to work out. I'm going to stop doing this. And then when that expectation isn't met, disappointment settles in. Now, It may be something as trivial as guitar lessons, but it also might be something as important as a relationship. It may be in how you thought your life would pan out. Where you thought you'd be by now. And as with most things in life, if there is a physical component, there might be a spiritual connection as well. And disappointment and expectation are some of the unspokens within Christianity. They do exist, for sure. And they potentially are crippling prisons that we choose to live and remain in. We can't see our way out of it. We think this is all there is. We're stuck. And we rarely talk about expectation and disappointment in a way that's beneficial. I mean, what do we do with disappointment? How do we handle expectation? Well, these are some of the things that we're going to look at within our scripture today, but let's open our time 
by committing it to the Lord. Lord, as we aim to draw close to you, to be changed by your word, we want to live in a way that honors you. In a way that glorifies your name. And so this morning, Father, would you revive us? Would you revive our faith today? Would you do for us what we cannot do for ourselves? We know you can do the impossible, and so we ask for it this morning. It's in Jesus' name that we pray these things. Amen. There have been many meltdowns in the Monteleone family, and in your family as well, I'm sure. We're not special in that way, but one of the things that we try to do is dive deeper into the meltdown. Some things are, some meltdowns are for a good reason. Others are, are for completely unjustified reasons. But something that Elena and I do with our kids is that when there is a meltdown, when there's a miscommunication or something's happening, we always say, can you explain to me why you feel this way? Can you tell me why you're experiencing this? We want to know. We want to understand. And I really don't care that they're only three and one. This is really important to us because when you don't understand someone's expectations, you can't make sense of their disappointments. I'll say that again. When you don't understand someone's expectations, you can't make sense of their disappointments. And isn't that true in life? Some people walk through life constantly despairing, constantly defeated, constantly disappointed. But if you don't understand what their expectation was, you truly can't relate to that disappointment. It's like the new Star Wars movie. I was massively disappointed. And my friends all ask me, why are you so upset about this? Well, I had a high expectation. You see, understanding the expectation is so important, whether that's in marriage, whether that's in parenting, in work and professional life, but it's also crucial in our faith. Because when you get down to the essence, when you really boil it down, faith is an expectation. It's a competent assurance that a negative circumstance still holds the potential to produce great purpose in my life. Faith is an expectation to know that even if the sequence of things doesn't make sense in my life, that God who is outside of time because he's eternal and holy and just knows the end from the beginning. It's an expectation. Faith enables me to wake up in the morning knowing that surely goodness and mercy follow me all the days of my life. And since today is one of the days of my life, I have faith knowing that he who began a good work in me is faithful to complete it. It's an expectation. Faith is an expectation. It's a high expectation, but it's an expectation nonetheless because it's met with promise after promise after promise within God's word but it's an expectation. 
And someone who had a high expectation within the Bible is the character of John the Baptist. John's entire life is defined by expectation. His birth and the events surrounding it are found within Luke's Gospel, chapter 1. If you want to open to it, feel free. John's parents, Zachariah and Elizabeth, are mentioned as righteous in the sight of God, but childless and old. And Zechariah was serving as the priest in the temple. And the angel Gabriel, the same angel that appears to Mary to let her know about Jesus, Gabriel appears to Zechariah and says, Your prayers have been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will call him John. And Gabriel continues, and he unfolds what John's going to do, what John is not going to do. And in verse 16 and verse 17, let's just read it real quick. It says, He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Now, if you're familiar with the story, you know that Zechariah could not believe that. And because he could not believe that, he was made silent until John was born. He could not speak. My opinion is that that was because of his expectation. He wasn't expecting to meet with the angel of the Lord that day. He wasn't expecting to hear something so specific to his situation. He wasn't expecting something so contrary to his circumstances to occur. Like that prophecy. And so because of that, he was made silent. And I wonder how many of us here today are like Zachariah. We're not expecting God to show up this morning. We're not expecting to hear something so specific to our life. We're not expecting something so contrary to what we think is going to happen. And because of that, therefore, the power of God remains silent in us and through us. And I feel the Lord challenging not only my own, but also our general expectation of what He wants to do and who He is. And so even before his birth, John's life is centered around expectation. It challenges his parents' expectation. It challenges scientific expectation. It challenges so many of the things that everyone was just expecting, that he's going to be a voice crying out in the wilderness, like it says in John 1.23. And not only did other people have expectation of John, John himself had great expectation of his role and what he was here to do. And that expectation began in the womb. In Luke chapter 1, verse 39, Mary, Jesus' mother, is visiting her cousin Elizabeth, John's mom, in her hometown. And when Mary calls out to Elizabeth, John leaps inside of Elizabeth. 
in some miraculous way, the fetus knew who was walking into the door. Because he was within proximity of his cousin who would be the savior of the world. You see, there is some massive expectation happening. And so John the Baptist grows up, and there's not a ton written about him, about how much contact he had with his cousin Jesus. And we don't know if he was within the caravan of people that misplaced Jesus at the temple at age 12. But imagine just for a second that he was. Imagine he heard about the Magi visiting his cousin Imagine he heard about Jesus' response when he was found in the temple to Joseph. Didn't you know that I'd be about my father's business? Again, it's not written. But imagine hearing all of these things knowing that it was your job to prepare the way. So John grows up, and when we pick up with him again, it's in Luke chapter 3, and now he's in the wilderness. And it says that the word of the Lord came to him and he begins a ministry tour around the whole country of the Jordan preaching baptism and repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And the thing we need to understand about John's message is that John was bold. If John the Baptist had a Twitter account, it would be suspended. He would definitely be deplatformed because in this day of 2020, this PC day, John would not have had much of an audience because what John spoke was truth. And he had one message, which was repent. And he would preach it all the time. When people would come out to be baptized by John, he would call them names. One time the Pharisees come out and he says, You brood of vipers! Thought that'd be an interesting way to greet you all this morning. And yet, within, within his message, there was a prophetic power to his ministry that people were attracted to. And because of that magnetism, people began to think that John was the Messiah. He was very popular in his time until Jesus comes. And when Jesus comes, John looks and says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And when John saw Jesus just before he baptized him, he identified him not by the things that he had done, primarily because he hadn't done anything yet, but he identified him based on the essence of who he was. And this is very important for us in how we relate to God. It's important in how we relate to God because if we only learn to identify God by what he does, then our expectation will be attached to his activity. And that's dangerous. It's very dangerous to have a low expectation of God, to only see him as good when he's good for you, to only see him as provider when he provides exactly what you asked for. It's dangerous because it turns God into everything that you want him to be and nothing like what he is. 
And when John sees Jesus, he says, don't follow me, follow him. John 3.30, I must decrease and he must increase. Follow him, not me. The whole reason that I'm here is to point to him. And now that he's here, he's going to come and do what he came to do, which is to judge the wickedness and to bring the people to repentance. And like we said, he was bold in his message. And because he was bold in his message, that boldness actually gets him in trouble. Let's look at Luke chapter 3. Verses 16 through 19. The people think that John is the Messiah. Verse 16, John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I am not unworth, I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, and he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And with many other words, John exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. But when John rebuked Herod the Tetrarch because of his marriage to Herodias, his brother's wife, and all the other evil things he had done, Herod added this to them all. He locked John up in prison. So John's addressing the people and he's saying, I'm not the one, but he's coming. And when he's coming, he's bringing judgment, and he's bringing fire, and he's bringing wrath, so repent. John mentions this thing called a winnowing fork, and that's what you would use to get the chaff out of the wheat, to separate it. You'd you'd separate the chaff from the wheat, the sheep from the goats, the wicked from the righteous. The Lamb of God has that fork, and, the, and he's here now, and he's going to clear the threshing floor and gather his wheat, and he's going to burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. This view of impending doom, this view of judgment, is John's expectation. And now, he's in prison. And I relate to this so much. I don't know about you, but a long time ago when I stepped into a relationship with Jesus, I was fetus John the Baptist, where I jumped for joy at his presence in the room. And then as time went on, I was wilderness John the Baptist. I was getting my ministry ready and all the things that I was going to do for God and plans and things like that. And then after some time, I was baptizing John in the middle of my ministry and I was doing things for God, calling people to repentance. But there are times in my life where I feel like prison, John. Where I thought I was doing the right thing, but now I'm stuck. Now I'm in a prison. You see, my expectation has not been met. And something is happening to John in prison. Something is making him doubt what he was so sure about. From the time before he was born, what he knew even before he was born, he's now doubting in prison, and he sends messengers a hundred miles on foot to ask Jesus one question. And I get it. Because, you know, Jesus, we were supposed to be partners here, but here I am in prison, and all I keep seeing is you heal people, and people being blessed because of you, and how awesome it's going for you. But, you know, I stood up to a king, and here I am in prison. 
And here's what John's wondering. Let's read it in Matthew chapter 11, verses 2 and 3. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? Did you catch it in that verse? He said, Are you the one, or should we expect someone else? In other words, is it always going to be like this? Did I waste my time? Or I thought you were gonna. Have you ever thought God was gonna? I have. I've had plenty of conversations with God. I thought you were going to deliver me from this. I thought you were going to give me a spouse. I thought you were going to fix that family member. I thought you were going to grow this ministry. I thought you were going to change this situation. I thought you were going to comfort me. I thought you were going to answer this prayer. I thought you were going to. Have you ever wondered? Because John is wondering. And just to be clear, he is not denying Jesus. He's not denying the Lord who brought him up. He's not even contradicting what he said previously. He's just thinking that maybe God isn't what he thought he was. Maybe I trusted in the wrong one. You ever feel like that? I say feel like that, not say like that, because you don't say it. You're afraid God will zap you in the rear end with a lightning bolt. But when expectations aren't met, it leads to the I thought you were gonna statements, which are verbalized because of this one emotion, which is disappointment. John is disappointed. He's in prison and he sends messengers to Jesus to ask, are you the one that we were waiting for? Is it you or should we be waiting for somebody else? Go ask Jesus, are you the one? Because I told everybody that you were the one. I told everybody you had a fork. I told everybody you had fire. But watch how John gets a response. Watch what Jesus says. Verse 4, Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear. And see, the blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. What wasn't in that verse? The fork and the fire. Jesus wasn't doing any of the things that John wanted him to do. Read the list again. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. The good news is proclaimed to the poor. Go tell John that. And John's like, I'm just checking, Jesus. Where's the fork? Where's the fire? You ever have a where's the fire moment with God? A what the heck, God. You can be upset if you want to, but if you're really honest, there are some things in your life that you are trying to figure out right now. What in the world is this? 
Why is this happening? Why are you allowing this? This is not what I had expected. I thought you were gonna, Jesus. I just need to know because I thought you were gonna and I thought you were gonna is the prison that we spend so much of our lives in with what we thought God was gonna do. For John, it's a physical prison, but I think for us, it's a mental, it is emotional, and it is a spiritual prison. One where we live in because of our expectations of what we thought God was going to do, and we can't see him for who he really is because he doesn't match our expectations. But I got a question for you. What if he is really able to do immeasurably more than you can ask or imagine? Ephesians 3.20 What if he wants to do something so much better than your mind can comprehend? What if he doesn't want to meet your expectations because he wants to exceed them? That's the way he usually grows my faith, by disappointing my expectation. You see, once the expectation isn't met, we're left with this emotion of disappointment. Do you know what God uses to grow my faith? Disappointment. You know what the enemy uses to disillusion me with God? Disappointment. It's the same thing. But it's what you do with the disappointment that will either release you from the prison of expectation or it will sentence you to a lifelong verdict Wondering why God isn't what you thought he was. John's in this spot. This is what I gave up my ministry for. This is why I'm in prison. For us, maybe it's, this is what I gave my life to, and I'm still struggling with depression, anxiety, suffering, pain, addictions. You see, it was your expectation of deliverance that is causing your disappointment. Your expectation of wealth, of success, of whole relationships, freedom, that leads you to disappointment. Now hear me, I'm not saying God doesn't want those things for us, but we are expecting the guitar when it might be guitar lessons. We have our agendas ahead of his plan. Jesus says, go tell John, see the deaf hear, the lame walk. Tell him I'm touching people that nobody else wants to touch. Leprosy was a life sentence. And it was a death sentence because you were ostracized from your community and left to die. Jesus says, tell him all that you know. Tell him what you see. This is what I came to do. This is what he announced that he came to do in Luke chapter 4. Remember when he goes into the synagogue and he opens up the scroll and he reads from Isaiah chapter 61 and he says, Today this is fulfilled in your presence. He's quoting that passage because he's fulfilling their prophecy, not their preferences. You see, fulfilling the prophecy is very different. 
He's fulfilling what he said he was, not what they thought he was going to be. And that is what God is trying to deliver us from. The way we thought it was supposed to be. You see, his plan is so much better than that. His purpose is so much greater than that. His love is so much better than that. He says it in Luke chapter 4. This prophecy is fulfilled in your hearing. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. Recovery of sight to the blind. He sent me to open the deaf ears. He was sent to do all of this stuff. And this is what he says to John. Everything from the list in Isaiah 61. But he leaves one thing out. When he sends the message back to John. The only thing he left out. Freedom for the prisoners. He said, tell John everything I said I would do. I'm doing it. But what I said I would do is not what you were expecting. And tell John that I need his faith not to rest in the idea of who he thought I was. Tell him I need his faith not to rest on whether or not I fulfill his agenda. I need his faith to rest in who I am. And I think that's what he's telling us this morning. God is saying, you spend so much of your time disappointed with who you thought I was, that you can't see me for who I am. We spend all of our time in our minds trying to figure out whether or not God is good. Trying to figure out if life makes sense, what his plan is. It's a prison. It's a prison of expectation. You can't solve these problems on the level of self. It's going to take a Great big God with an eternal plan. My thoughts aren't your thoughts. And my ways aren't your ways. That's Isaiah 55, 8. And a lot of times our entire faith journey can be sabotaged because of our expectation of salvation and faith when it got started. And if I'm honest, I don't even like the way the story ends because... What I want to happen doesn't happen. John doesn't get out of prison. In Matthew 14, his head is served up on a platter because the king decides to cut it off. And yet, there is something so much more beautiful in the text than John getting what he wants. Something so much more profound, and it's in verse 7 and following. Now, this is a transitional phrase, and it's really important because it says, as John's disciples were leaving. What does that mean? It means whatever Jesus says next, John doesn't hear it. Jesus turns to the crowd and begins speaking about John. This is significant because... What he says next, he wants the crowd to know about John. What he said before was what he wanted John to know about him. And he says in verse 11, Truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. God might not be organizing everything to match your exact preference, but there is a greater purpose and there is a bigger picture. 
There are things about you and about your situation that you don't and can't and won't know. But that doesn't change who God is. My faith is not the expectation that circumstances will always be pleasant. My faith is the expectation that my God works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. That's Romans 8.28. And the funny thing about Romans 8.28 is that we always forget that when we quote that, that verse is in the passage with the context of suffering, of disappointment. And as disappointments in my life continue and continue to come, it's those disappointments that are shattering my expectation of who I thought God was and consistently showing me how great he is and how he's building my faith, my trust, and my hope in him. You know, a lot of people believe that the Lord wants to set you free from debt. From pain, from worry. And he might. But what if the Lord wants to set you free today from the way you thought it was going to be, and that's it? Because you know what happens once you get set free from the way you thought it was going to be? You can embrace what it is. That God has something better than a fork. God's got something better than a fire. The first place of deliverance is in the area of expectation. And this year as it begins, I think that's what God wants to set us free from, from our expectations, from our I thought you were gonna's. To be set free by the fact that God might not be conforming everything to our exact agenda or keeping all of our appointments. Because he's God. And we're not. And so, what does that look like? It's great to have the understanding. Now, how do we have the application? What, you know, what's the first step in beginning to shatter our expectation. Well, I think it's just a simple prayer. When things are challenging your expectations, there's two R's that I've recently been praying and that I think we as a community should be stepping into. The first R is a prayer of recognition. God, I realize this is not what I had expected. This isn't what I had planned. I thought you were gonna, and you didn't. Essentially, God, this sucks. Because time and time again, it is the honest and transparent and sloppy and messy prayers that are recognized by God. And so we have to offer our expectation on this altar. This isn't what I ex had expected, and I own that. And once we can own that, the second prayer is of release. God, I give you what I thought this was going to be, and I surrender to you and what you want to do with this. I give you control. I submit to your plan and not mine. 
Because, you know, we can't embrace God's best for us if we're still settling for our best in the situation. And until these two prayers come out, recognition and release, we potentially will stay in the prison of expectation and continue to wonder why God hasn't conformed to our every desire. We'll still be disappointed. And when we're no longer bound in the prison of our expectation, God can exceed those expectations with who he really is, a God who is loving A God who is wise beyond our wisdom, whose compassion never fails, and is far beyond our understanding, and whose ways are so much better than ours.